This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship God. I take refuge in your righteousness deliver me and rescue me be to me a rock of refuge a strong fortress to save me praise you O heavenly creator judge of the living and the dead Praise the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of a new covenant. Praise the Holy Spirit, the fire from heaven that descends to enliven our souls. We praise you, triune God, whose perfect communion is worthy of our worship.
Good morning and welcome to our service of worship of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, those gathered here with us in person and those joining us online. I am the Reverend Megan LeCluse, and this morning I am joined in leading worship by the Reverend Margaret Somerville and Andrew and our musicians. Margaret, some of you may know him since she was born, and others may, this may be your first time being introduced to Margaret. She is a child of this congregation. Her father, Reverend Ernest Somerville, became the pastor of this congregation in 1956, well before Margaret was born. And we are delighted to have her back with us to preach for us this morning. She now leads Alignment Interfaith Interfaith Contemplative Practices, which looks at contemplative practices from different faith traditions. Beginning in September, they will resume having a 30-minute Sunday evening practice. And you can check out her work on interfaithalignment.org, which we invite you to do after the service. We do want to make sure everyone knows that there is nursery care during this service that is available for anybody who may have young ones that that would be a better place to be in. And you can always stay tuned into what is happening in the life of our congregation. You can check out announcements on the back of the bulletin or our website. And I'm now going to invite Andrew to share a little bit about what will be happening right after this service. Good morning, everyone. Um, Next Sunday, I will um, be playing a short 25-minute recital um, at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, um, which, had COVID not been in our way, um, would have been the end of a choir tour over there. Um, That part has been uh, rescheduled for next summer, um, but I am keeping my recital, and I'm going over there. And today, uh, in place of the postlude, I'm going to have a practice run of that program. It lasts about 25 minutes. Um, You're all welcome to stay and listen. I would love for you to do so. Um, If you have a a more immediate need for caffeine, um, please feel free to get up and and go to fellowship hour. But the invitation is there. If you'd like to stay um, and listen to the program, uh, which is the postlude today. We'll have just uh, maybe 30 seconds after the benediction to sort ourselves out, and then I'll start playing. Thanks so much. Fellowship hour, whether you go after the recital or need to go earlier, is right down this hall in Old Buttonwood Hall. And we hope you will join us either after or after the organ recital. And now let us continue our service of worship with our prayer of confession. We are led astray from God and God's purposes for our lives by our sins and our shortcomings. Let us clear our path back to God through our prayer of confession. Loving God, God of the air we breathe and the ground that supports us as we stand, we come together in this space and at this time, and in seeking freedom, gracious God, we have often forgotten where it is rooted. In seeking space to worship you the way we find right and fitting, we have taken space where you were worshiped with honor and grace. In finding our own paths, 
We have overlooked where our paths were already traced. You have set before us a love that is unbounded, limitless, that we will have learned through Jesus Christ. May that love make us free to see that the air we breathe and the ground we walk upon is yours, not ours. And in honoring all those who walk upon it, may we honor you, our creator, our healer, and our breath of new life. Amen. God's redemption is free to receive. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Hebrews, starting in the 12th chapter at the 18th verse. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. 
for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Our second reading comes to us from Luke's Gospel, in the 13th chapter, starting at the 10th verse. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan had bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, because I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a child, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord.
Let us pray. Loving God, may these words land on our hearts and minds as we seek to open ourselves to listen to the ways in which your Spirit speaks to us. Amen. I'm too young for this, says Jeremiah. And God says, don't say that. I have plans for you. I've had them all along. Jeremiah is doing what prophets do. That reluctance to accept the divine call. The feeling of not being adequate in whatever way. We see this almost as the standard of knowing someone is actually a prophet, the fact that they deny they are the ones for the job. Moses also doubted his ability to speak. Isaiah, his integrity. And Mary, just like Jeremiah, cited her age. I'm only a young maiden when called by God to do the work she was to do. I wonder how these prophets would have made their way in our times today. In a world where we're expected to promote ourselves in nearly every aspect of life. Can you imagine going to a job interview and saying, I really don't think I'm qualified or the right age or my, my past is filled with things I'm really not proud of. Our youth, quite unlike Jeremiah, have learned to become influencers on TikTok or carefully pick out the most flattering pictures for their Instagram accounts. Even for those who present a self-deprecating persona, the promotion of self is how we operate. Think even of a faith community such as ours here. We advertise, we promote our presence and programming to welcome and attract others to be part of the community. Because we only exist, after all, because we have enough members who will contribute to keeping these walls standing and this work ongoing. All for good reason, of course, but there's little room for anything in our society other than self-promotion, for being known for what you do best, for finding our purpose and letting others know what it is so that we can fulfill that very purpose. There's not much time for what some call imposter syndrome. You know that feeling of not thinking you deserve any success you might be experiencing. That general feeling of unworthiness. I used to think I suffered from an almost daily dose of imposter syndrome until I realized it was my growing understanding of my white privilege having been aided in my affluence and opportunity by the systems in place to support me, the 
education I've received, my housing situation, my health care. Kino Terrell, in his new book, Being Black, The Hard and the Cool, a title that he attributes to an encounter with Cornell West, he writes a chapter about the concept of black excellence, the uplifting of people and events and experiences of black folk as beacons of excellence in our society. And he ends every chapter by outlining the cool parts and the hard parts. And so on black excellence, the, the cool is self-evident, but the hard part, as he says, what potentially does this do for a young black person who isn't experiencing excellence at a given moment? Does it leave some people feeling unworthy? Does it create an imposter syndrome for someone being told they are excellent and not feeling it? And sensing they are yet again deemed not worthy? So does my unworthiness, my feeling of unworthiness, come from too much privilege? And is my black colleagues created by our society's racist systems? Where do our feelings of worth or unworth come from? Do they grow from how we're perceived by society, by a broken creation? Or are we part of a faith community? And we find our worth in being loved first. Finding our worth in God's call. But what does that mean? It's so easy to hide inside these walls of faith called by God beloved creations of the Creator, and forget that God is calling us into that very society, that society that creates the worthy and the unworthy. I'm only a child, says Jeremiah. I'm too young. I'm just a kid. He questions how he is worthy to be this thing we call prophet. This one who is the voice of God for God's people and the voice of the people for God. This critical link of communication without which people might not even know of God's presence in their lives. The translations of this line of Jeremiah are interesting. They most often insert a word that does not appear in the Hebrew, the word just or only. 
sometimes the translators feel the need to add these words so that we will hear it with what is perhaps the intended nuance. What's often translated, I'm just a boy or I'm too young, merely says, I am a na'ar, a youth, a child. It's the word used about Moses when he was an infant floating in a basket. And about Samuel, born to Hannah, when he's left by her at the temple with Eli. And about Isaac, when he was about to be sacrificed by his father. It's hard to tell if it means infant or toddler or teenager. But maybe that's the point. Jeremiah perhaps sees himself at every point from womb to whatever stage of youth he has reached. And in one single moment, he sees himself as being all those ages. And in one snapshot, He's trying to identify what it is that God sees in him. Why he was worthy and what work he was meant to do. I'll never forget teaching a Sunday school class about all the ways in which the prophets had encounters with God's call. And a young teenager asking me, how do you know what it sounds like? When God talks to you, does it, does it sound like a, a regular voice? Am I supposed to be hearing something? She was worried that she had never heard God's voice before. And then that same week, I had the exact same experience with a group of adults. People were sharing left and right in this class their stories of encounters with the divine. Encounters through nature and light and profound life-changing experiences that they knew were the voice of God. And then an older man came up to me after this class of sharing, deeply upset. He had never had such an experience. He couldn't point to anything that he could identify as God being in communication with him. Why was he not worthy? of such an encounter. Sometimes we forget that in sharing our profound experiences, we might just be alienating others rather than illuminating those around us. But perhaps the key is in what Kino Terrell wrote about. Perhaps it's not up to us to recognize our worth, but for someone else to celebrate our excellence. 
to notice our worth for us. Isn't that what Jesus did with this woman from the passage in Luke today? The leaders of the synagogue told this crippled woman to go away. Come back on a day that isn't the Sabbath to be cured. And Jesus basically tells them they are treating their animals better than they are treating this woman who has suffered for so long. She was the outcast in her society, the one held down even by the leaders of the faith community. Jesus knew what it means to see the worth in someone else, to lift someone up, no matter what the law says. He knew that in showing someone their worth, in upholding them with dignity, he was doing the work he came to do, teaching us to do the work we are here to do. Now, as some of you may know, my partner and I have somewhat switched places with Baron and Lester. We are just back from our pilgrimage to Iona, where they have just been making theirs this week. There's pretty much one way to get to Iona, through the highlands of Scotland up to Oban, the ferry across to Mull, the bus across Mull, and then the ferry to Iona, where the abbey comes into view. This beacon of Celtic Christianity and transformative worship and connection to the earth and sea and sky that never fails to change those who breathe the air of this sacred space. Yes, there's one way to get there, and basically two hotels where people stay, besides a smattering, small smattering of B&Bs. Those who go often are pretty much divided between the Argyle Hotel people and the Columba Hotel people. And every year, there seems to be a new book by someone who has been transformed by their experience on the island. And I find it really funny that you can even see in the books whether the people are Argyle Hotel people or Columba Hotel people. It's almost like the Iona version of football team loyalties. So this year, I decided to be gracious and read the book published by the Argyle Hotel devotee, Tracy Balzer, as well as the new J.P. Mule book proudly on display in the Columba Hotel. And right away, all of these feelings of bias came welling up in me. Who is she? She's some American writing a, a travel diary. There's, there's nothing in here. Everyone who comes here knows all this stuff already, almost as if I was trying to impose the imposter syndrome on her. And Baron and I have shared 
some thoughts about our mutual disappointment in this book. But then I hid it. This passage from her book, The Journey of Sea and Stone. She says, we don't get to determine how God will speak. Instead, we are invited to engage in the active spiritual practice of paying attention, of taking notice of what God has to say in God's way. This posture of humility makes us more open to the transforming presence of God wherever we find ourselves. We don't get to determine how God will speak, she says. It isn't up to us to determine our worth. Our worth has already been determined. Our job is to take notice. As Balzer says, to lean into beauty and to submit to transformation, fueled by the power of a creative God. And where do we find that beauty, that transformative beauty? Literally everywhere. In the unspeakable beauty of the stones of a sacred island? Undoubtedly. But Jesus showed us, in reaching your hand out to someone else, to lift them up, to free them from their bondage, our worth comes in noticing the worth of someone else. God opens the door for us to be in relationship in creative and beautiful ways. And we must, as Bridget of Kildare says, position ourselves with courage at the doorway of compassion that doorway that Jesus opens for us, that space that takes more courage than we even know we have to say, yes, I'm listening. I'm just a kid. I'm just a youth. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a, I don't even know what I am. But I see you, and can I reach out my hand to you? And in knowing your worth, I know mine too. So you'll know it. And know it might not sound like a voice. And at every stage of your life, it might be different. What you're called to do 
how you identify, how you change and grow and transform. And maybe you're really good at promoting yourself. Or maybe you suffer from severe self-doubt or feeling lost or worthless. Or perhaps society has told you you're not worthy. But we don't get to determine how God will speak. We have to find those sacred spaces in our life where we can truly take time to listen, to lean into beauty, and be transformed. And our transformation can in turn transform a broken creation if we will but reach out our hand. Let us pray. Loving and all-merciful God, guide us as we open our hearts and minds to listen, trusting in the transformative power of Christ's compassion, in whose name we pray. Amen.
let us together confess what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We belong to God. Everything we have, even life itself, is a gift from God. In gratitude to God, let us return a portion of these gifts as our tithes and offerings.
Creator God, as we hear of the young Jeremiah, we lift our prayers of protection for all of our children and youth. As they prepare for school to begin again in the coming weeks, we pray for them as they walk to school or get on board school buses with backpacks full of lunches, books, and hopes for the new year ahead. Shelter our young, O oh God, as they leave their homes and their guardians embrace. Guide them in their school so their minds are filled with knowledge, their hearts with affirmation, their cells with esteem and confidence. Hear our prayers of provision for the grieving, the lost, the lonely, the sick, the poor. Provide for the survivors of our world's violence, O oh God, who live and relive trauma. Provide shelter for the refugees and escapees of war, famine, devastating floods and wildfires. Provide food for the hungry of stomach and soul. Hear our prayers of protest against injustice. Help us interrogate our systems and the leaders who build them, God our judge. Help us expose bias and confront structures that privilege few and oppress many. Help us resist greed and empire building, turning from temptations to overconsume, hoard, and inevitably destroy. Hear our prayers of petition for those we love and those in need, great God, who we lift in silence to you now. Glorious God, you deserve all our honor and praise. We thank you for the ways in which you call us throughout our lives, for the ways in which you speak to us. Grateful for your attention and your presence with us in prayer, hear us now as we collectively pray the prayer that Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
hands go forth from these walls to reach out your hand on this Sabbath day, and in seeing someone else's worth, to recognize your own. Lean into the beauty of this transformative power fueled by a creative God. And may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. Amen. Just a reminder, if you need to head out or need to go get caffeine, you're welcome to do that. But Andrew will, in 30 to 60 seconds, once the organ rises, begin his rehearsal run of the recital he will be giving at St. Paul's in London next Sunday. So we invite you to stay for that.